1: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
0: Hey everyone, on this week's episode of Six Degrees with Mike McKenna, Todd Brown's back. Goalie Gear Talk, Part 2. Enjoy. Todd, maybe I was surprised the last time you came on at the response we had because people went nuts for the gear talk. It's probably not surprising to you given the diverse history you've had in the game and how much time you've spent with a bunch of different companies, but you're off to a new area now, taking a new job. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the company that you're working for before we get talking about goaltenders and the equipment that they've used in the past. So Todd, welcome back for the first second time guest on six degrees with mike mckenna
1: yeah thanks for having me back it was a blast the first time and i was surprised with different people in the industry uh that had heard the podcast reaching out to me saying hey great job with mike that was very organic It sounded like you guys are just old buddies having a conversation and that's exactly what we were with knowing you since your saint lawrence days and who's kept in touch and uh that's, I felt comfortable talking about it. It's what, you know, I've lived the last 26 years of my life doing in the goalie business, dealing with pros, retailers, and users alike. And it's, it's my passion, you know, but, uh, to your point, after 26 years, uh, in the business, I felt that I've, I've done that all I could in the context of the people running the business right now on the goalie sector. So it was time to move on. Uh, I've joined a, a tech company, um, that uh, is based out of Seattle by the name of Visus, which is Latin for change. And it's a well-funded company that uh, was founded, co-founded by a pediatric neurosurgeon, the head of biomechanical engineering at the University of Washington, and a medtech tech executive. Um, basically, the pediatric neurosurgeon uh, was disheartened by having to tell his 15, 14-year-old clientele that they can no longer play football because of head injury that they they were receiving. So he thought there has to be a better solution out there. And he looked at the current context of football helmets and saw that the the evolution had been modest over the years and thought we've, we've got to be able to do better in creating a 21st century helmet. So they went from nothing in 2015 to being the number one rated helmet in the NFL by the NFL and NFLPA in 2017. 2018 and again for 2019 uh this upcoming year they uh received the number 1 ranking based on NFL and NFLPA testing on their helmet and they've gotten into uh the youth football market with a youth helmet that oddly uh or not oddly enough but is the number 1 ranked helmet according to Virginia Tech studies so um you know they're taking their success in the football realm and they are looking to get into the hockey market uh, starting with the player helmet. So it's new opportunities uh, for me. It's new challenges, uh, great chance to grow with a company, uh, leverage my relationships in hockey and help them develop their, their hockey market.
0: Very cool. I'm glad you've got something really exciting coming down the pipeline. The last time you were on, we talked about this guy a little bit. And there was a huge outpouring of people that wanted to hear more about Tim Thomas. Now, we've got other goalies that we could talk about, but you suggested that if we talked about this guy, it might take up an hour. What was it about Timmy that made him unique?
1: You know, I met him for the first time in 2005. I believe that's when he... He uh, returned from Finland to the to the Providence Bruins organization, and actually, yeah, Jordan Siglett, I believe, is his goaltending partner, and Siggy, a uh, friend of yours, and,
0: yeah, my old training um, partner with Chris Economo. Yeah, a lot of people don't yep. actually know that that Siggy and I trained for the better part of at least four or five years. He introduced you to Tim Thomas.
1: He did. He so Siggy so always wore Bauer as well, and and I had a good relationship with him. And he said, "Listen, we have this guy, my partner, Tim Thomas. Uh, he's been struggling with different brands; just can't find anything he's comfortable with. He's wondering if you uh, would be willing to work with him." And my first thoughts were, "Oh, his reputation precedes him. He's only been in North America for a short period of time, but I heard so much about how this, how Tim Thomas was very particular about his equipment, and it could be quite challenging." Uh, in terms of getting him satisfied and comfortable. But I thought, you know what? I've I've got years of experience dealing with a variety of different personalities. Why not? This could be a good challenge for me. So that's when it it first started, and I have Jordan Siglet to to thank for that.
0: So did he go right into Bauer? Because I know when he first came out, he was wearing maybe even like Pete Smith pads, I think, when he got to the end. When did you guys get him and what was it like getting him his first set? Did he immediately reject it or was he into it right
1: away? You know, I, I made him, uh, I, I talked to him on the phone for about an hour, um, jotted down some specs, sent out a preliminary set. He said it was okay. Uh, but we probably need to meet face to face. Um, to go over the things for the next set. And I thought, okay, I'm not sure where we're going with this, but <laughs> next time I'm out in Providence, seeing Siggy, I'll spend some time uh, with Tim. And um, it didn't even get to that because he finished out, I think, this season with Providence, and then the next year he was up with, with the Bruins. So um, I'm going back on memory. I I, I really don't know. I, I know that when I first sat down with him, um, it, it was over over an hour and a half. And, uh, going through all the small details. Um, you know, I don't want to fast forward too far in the, in the timeline here, but they knew me at legal seafoods at Logan airport because I was there, uh, waiting for my plane, uh, every, every other week because I would see Tim, literally see Tim Thomas every second week, twice a month in, uh, in Boston and go over gear so walk, the
0: moment you walked into legal they had crab cakes and a couple of couple of ales waiting for you because you were back
1: <laughs> they knew
0: exactly
1: what i i you know like to eat off the menu and they were you know obviously curious of what their what their star goalie was uh was changing but obviously i kept that between tim and i you know it's uh they knew it was a, a a moving target all the time. And, and they're just happy to have me as a patron. And, and, but I, I didn't really share stories, whatever Tim and I discussed, I kept, uh, I kept to myself. That was between him and I and and his equipment because he, you know, he was sort of guarded about that. He, he, unlike most guys that will ask you, well, what's so-and-so where, what, why does he do this? Tim, that he didn't seem to care about that. It, it, It was, but what he wanted and what was right for him. Um, and couldn't care less if there was another goalie in the league having success, wearing a brand of product. Uh, you know, he wanted to he wanted to knock that guy off, and he he wanted to work with a company and and with someone that could help him get comfortable with his equipment and perform at the highest level.
0: So, what was he looking for though? That was so particularly unique. Because I mean, I th- I know I could go through a bunch of different specs, but I don't think they'd be that far off of of retail were were his like truly custom and that there was some really strange things going on, or was he just really into the fine
1: details? you know at first, I think I maybe created uh the monster because initially you know his stuff his specs weren't too far off of uh stock product um you know nothing out of the ordinary that most most elite level goalies would would have you know five or ten on spec changes on a pad or maybe five or on a blocker, or a catcher, or whatever but for um as time went along and the more attention i paid to to him and 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 the success he started having uh the the more customization was required and i don't know if we were creating um product just to create product but that's it seemed like that because at one point in time uh i went from embroidering his initials tt On the product to TT1, TT2, TT3, so I could keep track of, you know, the product he's wearing. TT3, I would go with my TT3 notes, see what the specs are, because eventually it became okay. This is our convers. This is the type of conversation we'd have, Uh, Brownie. I'd like the specs, the top from TT3 pads with the shin cradle from TT5 and the boot from TT2. And I would go, Okay, so it'd be an exercise in going into my into my file, my electronic file, cutting and pasting it, putting it together and then having to go back and sit down with Dave Wander, who at the time was managing the custom specs for for Goliath Bauer and dealing with the factory and creating the tech packs for the factory. Because don't forget, at that time, we were producing our product overseas, our high end product. And so he would have to be on either on Skype or on the phone or just communicate with the factory uh on on these these spec changes and it was, it became quite confusing but for Dave and I uh that was the best way of operating you know embroidering the a number, what set he was on uh in conjunction with his initials keep track of it.
0: It must have felt like you were going in circles at times. Did you ever kind of come to a conclusion on what he really liked or was it just an evolving
1: process? It was an evolving process. You know, he was always changing something um, for a comfort level or, uh, you know, if his game was evolving, he was trying different, you know, position specific movements. Uh, He felt maybe we could change the product to feel a little more comfortable in it. Um, so it was always, it was always evolving. Um, you know, he, he, at one point uh, weight was, was his focus and I went out and I bought uh, one of those Berkeley fish scales and I still carry it to this day because he would come in and he's like, ah, these new pads, I'm telling you, they just, they feel heavier than the last. And I'm like, Tim, they're not. And he goes, I bet you they are. So I would pull out my fish scale, put them on and keep them the task, right? Cause he, he, he's holding me accountable. And, you know, I had to show him cause he was very, um, a very visual person. Uh, if you could show, and he's a smart guy. There's no question about it. You know, he, you can take him for granted. Uh, he put a lot of time and, and effort and thought behind what he wanted. He just didn't ask for change for the sake of change. So. You know, he, he kept you honest and I think at the end of the day when his career was starting to wind down talking to some of the other reps he he became a little more grounded and just realized just go out and play <laughs>
0: was he wearing 195s or x60s or did he kind of go through all those
1: he went through all of them 195 x60s it's uh, I could I could have just imagined what he'd be like if he's still playing today with the 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 Odin and the Supreme line, (laughs) that that, that was right up his alley. You know, he, he he didn't mind being a guinea pig for new, for new product where other guys, you know, that were more apprehensive to try it. They, they don't want to be the first, you know, they're, they're, they're the laggards. They'll, they'll adapt at a later process. Tim was an early adapter. He wanted to, he, he was willing to experiment.
0: Huh. See, I would have taken him as somebody who was just a tinkerer, like to his absolute heart's core. That's cool that he was looking to go to the tech side of it. I mean, we've talked about somebody else that was willing to do that was Peter Budai. And you told me that you would send him gear, basically everything, and he'd try it, right? That he was a guy who, I mean, he basically could get into any set of gear. His had to be kind of a unique scenario.
1: If you have him, if you ever have Boots on your podcast, ask him what his favorite Bauer pad of all time was, and he'll tell you it, 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 it was a vapor, the original vapor. He's got to be um, the only guy on earth with that answer. Only guy on earth, and he, I you know, I just talked to him because you know he's he retired, and we still keep in touch, and he's doing some clinics and and whatnot, and uh, he still talks about that pad. I, I absolutely love that pad. That was my favorite pad. I don't know why more guys didn't get into it. And I'm like, you know what whatever works for you boots that's that that that's great, you know, but it wasn't uh it was a pad that was ahead of its time uh the design team and I was a, a product manager for that pad i'm not uh I'm not ashamed of it. We tried something different uh the market wasn't ready for it. you know they wanted to evolve into something like that they didn't want to be shocked into it and uh it just had it met some challenges. Um, from an industrial design perspective, that uh, probably weren't accepted, and you know it, it had it had its place in time. It uh, that's a chapter history we wrote and we closed.
0: So, what was it about Budzo that made him willing to do anything with it? Did he did he not have a preference whether it was a soft pad, a hard pad? Because I look later in his career here, and he went back to wearing even unbranded pads for a little while. That I think JRZ was making them because. I'm not sure whether he didn't like the Odin or the 1S or 2S stuff, but at some point he ended up really finding what he liked, it seemed like. And I'd love to ask him these questions, but, you know, did you know that when it went out the door, yeah, Boots is going to be fine. He'll like this.
1: Yeah, for the the most part, he wasn't too particular. He liked the softer pad. And, you know, that vapor, um, you know, the whole premise behind that original vapor pad was to kill rebounds. Unlike today where we want, you know, uh, we want larger rebounds that the uh, the second wave of attack can't pick up on her so he boots just uh, if you look at the pads the model pads he he wore he always liked the softer pad he liked the pad that had a little more flex to it and so i think that's one of the reasons why he he liked wearing that original vapor 30 pad so much
0: another guy that must have been a big fish when you landed him was Henrik Lundqvist, because Hank was using TPS for years. I don't know the whole background on this, but how did you end up getting him in the Bauer family? And then he obviously had some unique requirements with his gear, I think. And maybe you could detail some of those things that you had to do to be able to make a Bauer pad that fit his style and his preferences.
1: Yeah, so Henrik, I don't think he was looking for a change. At the time, TPS was uh, going through some, some financial difficulties, and it looked like they were not going to have the ability to make product for him anymore. So Hank had, uh, you know, who looked around, what's out there in the marketplace and it was kind of open season on him. I think all the brands were, were making product for him because obviously he was, he came on the scene, uh, like lightning in a bottle, and and we all wanted to be uh, affiliated with that and have a have a relationship with him because we knew, we knew he was going to go on to have a great career, most yeah. of the brands did anyway. So, and he was um, in
0: New York City, which doesn't help doesn't hurt either, he, right?
1: Yeah, at original six A market team, yeah, for sure. So, uh, you know, we just I just didn't do anything special with with him. I just approached it as any regular situation, the, a new prospective client, and uh, sit down, and give him lots of one on one time. Um, Bauer was fortunate that they have an office in, in, in Sweden and, uh, they have, uh, very seasoned, uh, reps who work the teams well. And H- Hanky knew of most of these reps and, uh, you know, whatever work that we needed to have done with him in the summer, those guys would contribute, uh, to it. So, um, he got a lot of attention, which I think he liked in terms of knowing that we were we we're there to work with him. And it caught, I think a lot of people at Bauer off guard that when he made his decision to, to join Bauer, um, it took a lot of people by surprise. They didn't think that we had a shot. And I'm like, well, why would you think that? Like we've been tripping over this guy and so is everybody else, but you know, we're doing the right things. We're saying the right things. We're doing more listening than we're doing talking. And as he seemed to like that. And we were very responsive. And I know when, we ended up signing them, uh, people were just (laughs) shocked. It's kind of shocked me because we did all the right things. So it came down to, you know, uh, getting him, you know, every time he sent in an iteration of a, of a a product, it had to be somewhat close to what he expected it to be because, you know, he, he was, he was nervous at the time. He, He had, he was forced to make a brand change and when product came in, if, if it felt as he expected it to, he knew that you were listening, you're taking the notes, you understood what he was trying to achieve. And I think that's how we want him. He just felt comfortable with us.
0: I think Hank kind of has this mythical aura about him though. You know, he's the big dog. He's the king. I've never even talked to the guy. And Uh I think that in speaking with him, I'd be nervous at first And I've been teammates with Luongo and Brodeur. And I think it's just purely because he's the New York city goalie plays in rock bands with John McEnroe, you know, he does all these things how do you take Hank out for dinner with the company tab and try to impress the guy? Do you even bother with that? <laughs> because, I mean, like, honestly, man, like one of the reasons that I love being with Bauer and working with you was our yearly get-together where we could sit down and have dinner. And that's why we became friends and co-workers for so long, though, is because we really knew each other on a personal level. And right. I don't think you see that as much now at all. You know, I mean, a guy shows up to the rink – you see each other for 40 minutes, that's great, but like just being able to go out and share a meal is so nice to do. How on earth do you ever take Hank out in New York City? Do you even bother with it?
1: Well, you know, business has changed, and you're right. Uh, nowadays, uh, a lot of the, the athletes, there's so much asked of them and of their time. is that You really don't have that free time to go out like you and I used to and get to know each other on a personal level. You really have to do that in the confines of, of the rink and and not so much outside of it. And in Henrik's situation, the only time we spent socially uh outside the rink was at, at our athlete event which Bauer used to host every summer where they would have all their top uh athletes signed athletes in to get all the marketing content for the upcoming season so we wouldn't have to to uh uh bother them during the season. So we do it in the off season in the summer and we we make it in, you know, enticing. We'd have it at a very exclusive resort. Um, everything was private, controlled environment. And, uh, that's the only time we would have dinner together. We never went out one-on-one or if I was in Sweden, uh, I might eat him at a coffee shop for a coffee and, and, uh, just, talk about how summer was going and, and just reassure him that everything will be in New York city or in Gothenburg, sent to Gothenburg when he started skating. So, um, I didn't really have that time. Like you were guys like Briz? He kind of, he liked that. He liked going out for dinner and, you know, feeling important and getting to know the rep on a personal level, or at least it seemed anyway. So, uh, everybody was different. You know, it's no, it's no, no different than any other sales job. You get to know your clientele and, what makes them tick and again a lot of it's paying attention to the small details and, and doing more listening than talking i see so many uh sales professionals that you know like to hear themselves talk or or you know want to make the, the perfect pitch when you know they should be, be more doing more listening than they do talking
0: we'll circle circle back to briz here in a little bit let's talk about hank's gear though kind of in depth because coming from the tps pad and I don't even know the name of the thing, but it was way different than Bauer. What did you have to do to get him comfortable in your gear, in terms of the spec on the pad that he started using when he came over?
1: When he came over, so I, I believe we were launching the 195 at the time, and it wasn't all that different from what he had been in in, in Louisville. Um, the big, the big change on, on, wasn't so much on the pad; it was the glove, and, and you know that evolved year after year, but. When initially uh, we were working with him, he wanted a glove that you could you couldn't close if if you were able to flex the glove and it, it closed even the slightest amount, he rejected it. Uh, he felt that you know he wanted the widest, most open glove you could have, and that it didn't need to close. He just wanted the surface coverage from it huh. so we we actually used to put strapping leather, which is the, the <sighs> kind of dating myself here but strapping leather is uh the leather from the hide of the cow that you w- manufacturers used to use for sh- for straps for gold pads and we used to put that in the palm poly assembly of its glove uh incorporate that so it would you couldn't close it it was it didn't, it didn't flex whatsoever
0: wow did anybody ever try to copycat that
1: um i think a lot of the illegalies that we dealt with were curious about why he, he had a glove that he couldn't close. Um, but over time, you know, you know, the guys at Bauer now, you'd have to ask them. I, I'm sure that his, as as like my career was dwindling winding down with Bauer, that he, his gloves were, uh, able, he was able to close them. They were flexing more by the time that we were getting into the, the old one. So, um, it just seemed to evolve, but that was probably the biggest hurdle at first was, and Hey, listen, I've dealt with, I've tried to uh, deal with guys in the past, um, where it came down to, if you can't replicate my glove, I I'm not switching because I don't want to, you know, uh, leave the company I'm with now for you guys, if you can't get my glove, right. And then they won't make me my glove anymore. And that's, that's a big part of my game and the way i i, I play the puck i need yeah, to have the going to
0: make a lot of sense for that yeah for sure
1: yeah there's so many there's guys like literally that that like our pro the bauer pads or um and obviously we had them in the skates and masks and but they said listen if you can't get the glove right i uh, i understand but I, I can't i can't switch because i i can't take the chance the company i'm with is going to say well we're not making the glove anymore
0: so Hank had a really unique glove, but he was the guy who helped you usher in the Odin line into North America, into pro hockey. Was he the guinea pig for it? And when you were testing stuff, was he the first guy that you kind of would bounce ideas off of? And are a lot of the ideas that went into that pad, did they come from him?
1: No, he he was definitely all on board and was excited to be uh, the main guy to test the initial prototype samples. but. Um, not too many people know this, but Briz was also the other, and I remember flying to, to Philly uh, on the weekend just pri- prior to the end of their season, and uh, Giroux was doing some testing on the player side with some of the initiatives they had there, and, and Briz was out on the ice with the prototype samples of the, the Odin product. And he just says, he was like, I, I can't, this is not for me. The, the pad doesn't feel right. It doesn't, I don't like the, I don't like the long rebounds. I like the puck to die. This, this whole project is, is not, is not for me. And he, he basically bailed on it after one use, uh, where Henrik, you know, he liked the way the pads, uh, produced the long rebounds. And, you know, I don't think that was ever part of the original criteria was obviously weight. Uh, we're trying to push the threshold on, on lightweight. Uh, but the materials that we, the, the team was using, uh, and, and the process produced these ginormous rebounds. And at that time, that's what everybody was starting to look for. Uh, you know, obviously it was a unique selling proposition. So the, the team jumped all over that and obviously made that one of the benefits of, of the pad. And, um, Henrik, you know, obviously uh, appreciated how they performed in that in that way. So he was definitely uh, the, the driving force behind helping the R&D team dial in the specs for that, that product
0: line. I remember the first year that he got those and I was playing for Columbus and I was backing up to start the game. I ended up getting tossed into it, but it was the first time a lot of our guys had ever seen those pads in use or heard them. And heard, I say, because they made that weird noise when the puck hits them. It was almost this kind of hollow thumping. It's just totally different than anything that pads have made before. And you could hear it through the whole building. When you guys made that first set and the puck started going off, did that turn heads at all, just hearing the sound for the first time?
1: Absolutely. So I remember getting um, a text from Kay Whitmore uh, saying, we have to talk about these pads some of the general managers have noticed audibly that they sound different on impact and the rebounds that they produce. Now there's nothing in the rule book that says anything with respect to rebounds, but I just want to be armed because you know, the way our general managers are, they're going to question um, why the one guy in the league, uh, his pad make a strange noise and give a longer rebound. So I remember going down to the next week, going down to the NHL offices in Toronto and meeting with Kay and Chris King in the evening prior to the games starting, and going over the pad with them. Obviously, not giving them too much information with regard to uh, the pad, but uh, letting them see it. And you know, I remember Kinger going, "This thing looks like a personal flotation device that <laughs> like you throw somebody in a pool." And 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 he goes, "But you know, what do you think, what?" Do you see a problem with this? And Kay's like, there's nothing. If it's a, it's, a, it's a lightweight goal pad that looks different, that you know what what can we say? And King was like, I'm good with that. So you know that was kind of the last we heard of it. Um, but to your point, yes, it did garner attention. And actually, Kay said um, later on to me that he had some goalies complaining. He wouldn't tell me who. Or, or who they played for, that it was an unfair advantage that Henrik was the only goalie allowed to play with these pads right now.
0: How's it unfair? Become a Bauer goalie and get your head in there. Get going for well, it, you know?
1: And, and you know, that's what I thought as well. I'd like to know who these guys are because we can definitely uh, get them engaged in the process and and get them comfortable with the equipment. But I never, I never found out that information.
0: That's really interesting about Kay Whitmore getting calls from GMs because I have a kind of funny story from this season. And I mean, the Odin or the 1S, 2S pads have been out now for what, almost five seasons, I think. But we're sitting there in the locker room and I don't know whether it was in between the first or second or whenever it was, And whoever we were playing that night, it may have been Freddie Anderson or Dubnik, I can't remember who it was, but they're wearing that pad. And obviously, the rebounds are coming off pretty hot. And it had been in the pregame notes that the pads were going to do that. And Guy Boucher comes firing in the room and he goes, This guy, he's got special pads, the rebounds, the rubber pads, they come off hot. And I remember looking at Craig Anderson next to me, and we went, rubber pads? Like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Dude? I mean, obviously, our goalie coach had told Guy Boucher that, yeah, he's got pads that give off rebounds, but rubber pads. I mean, I couldn't believe my ears when I heard that. And Craig and I were just – we had to put towels over our head. We were laughing so hard in the locker room.
1: Oh, I could, I could imagine. You know, I used to be sitting at home – uh, watching a game on TV and my phone will go off and it's a text message from Kay saying, Hey, just wanted to get your, uh, opinion on what this guy is using for chest and arm or, or is this one of your guys or why is he wearing this like that? You know, whether it was a Bauer product or not a Bauer product, sometimes he would, he would pick my brain as I'm sure he would, some of the other manufacturers, uh, reps as well. But, uh, yeah, it was an uncommon and what really predicated those text messages is he knew that he was going to get a call from a general manager or he had already received a text or a call from a general manager uh saying we played against this guy last night. There's no way he should be able to do whatever or look like this or and what what's going on here. So then Kay would have to you know, if he didn't know already, he would reach out to to one of us, either Scotty hes at Vaughn or Maybe Hugo at CCM or myself, and, and try to get get the be armed with the information that he can answer the questions. Right.
0: I think we're all guilty of that to a certain extent because I know I've sent you those texts before. <laughs> I've seen guys yeah. that were wearing. I I remember it distinctly, man. When CCM came out with that Eflex pad, I don't know how they got around the rules because those things were massive in terms of length. Like Bobrovsky got a set of those that I think were like two and a half inches bigger than what I could possibly wear. And part of that's because I have short shins and he has really long shins, but it's because they get around the caliper. Like the NHL rules have this device that basically allows you to skirt the rules if your pads have a lot of S shape to them. And I liked a straighter pad. So these E-flexes were just monstrous. I remember looking at Varlamov and a couple other guys who had just lost three inches off their pads the previous year and now they go into butterfly and they're overlapping by three inches again, you know? So we're, we're all guilty of that in terms of why can this guy wear this? And and I think it's just because we're all looking for an advantage, you know?
1: Well, and that's it. I remember when that, that rule came out with the LDS, limited distance sizing came out and the way the um, CCM pads are constructed with their EPP insert um, and the way that insert is made where in the boot and where it joins into the shin, how that that configuration goes, uh it allowed guys to wear a little longer pad where the way the bauer pad or, or maybe the bomb pads put together, uh it allowed it to sit up higher in the gauge because of the way it was manufactured. And I lost guys because of that. Hmm. Um so it was a smart on their part and um it was a, a very functional design and still is to this day. But uh, I do remember that clearly.
0: Well, I'm sure it's cat and mouse because as soon as somebody comes out with a better mousetrap, you got to catch up and build something equal, if not better to it. That's just part of the game with this stuff. I wanted to circle back because you talked about Brizgala for a little bit. And I got a chance to meet him earlier this year, which you helped facilitate. And I really appreciated that. But Briz is such an interesting character. And from a rep side... You talked about getting to know him. How was he to work with? What did he like in his gear? What were your interactions like with with Ilya Brisgalov?
1: Yeah, he was a character. Um, I enjoyed our 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 interaction. Um, he 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 was always clowning around. Uh, he was very straightforward and simple with his gear. He, he knew what he exactly what he liked, and uh, he didn't change much. Um, but he was just, he, 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 I think he was, un, I think he was misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he there's no filter with Briz as you know, you've, you've talked to him before. Right. He would just say he, he, you know, he'd say things that most of us wouldn't say because he just didn't see anything, any, any reason why he couldn't. Um, but he, he was a lot of fun to work with. He was pretty straightforward. Um, I always enjoyed going to see him. It's, I know a lot of people may not feel the same way, but you know, we uh, he, he just had a good working relationship. And it was easy and, and, and it was fun.
0: I think with him, that the thing that I didn't realize was that you know English is a second language, and he didn't learn it right away in school. He had to learn it while he was over here. And so when you're talking to somebody like that, they have to think about how they're going to respond. They have to translate it. You know, that's not easy. Like, think about you or I if we had to go speak goaltender in Spanish. You think mm-hmm. we could pull that off? I mean, we we know a couple French words, Carlis, you know, tabernacle, but other than that, <laughs> I can't speak French really. <laughs> so You're Right. Uh I'm sure it was that was tougher for Briz, but like you said, there's no filter with him. And uh, I remember you telling me though that when you got him into Bauer, basically he gave you a set of I don't know, Vaughn or whoever it was and said, Here, make this. Is that right?
1: Yeah, he provide you know, and that's not uncommon for um a an elite level goalie in the making a brand switch that's been in a brand for a long time and, and is comfortable in that brand to give you um you know a sample of what they're currently wearing and, and point out a couple of things that they would like to have integrated into their into their new brand of gear so um you know it was pretty straightforward um pad it was an easy seamless transition for him to move into to a reactor pad at the time because of you know it, the in the construction of it the feel of it it was you know, it was it was aligned with a, a velocity pad, mm-hmm. so um, it was it was a pretty easy transition. The, the where it got complicated with Brid is that he was under contract with with that particular company, and they had hang tags of him, uh, his imagery, on all their products at retail. And, you know, to, to keep peace in the industry, you know, we, uh, I don't remember if it was Bauer or if it was Briz's agent at the time that paid Vaughn for, um, producing all that material that was no longer valid anymore because he switched brands. So wow. they had to pay him off. Yeah. It was, you know, it was an honorable thing to do. Um, and again, I, I don't recall if it was, if it was Bauer or if, if it was Bauer, maybe. It's because Briz requested that Vaughn was on the hook for all these uh, point-of-sale hang tags, and it wasn't fair to them, and uh, they, that needed to be recouped in cost.
0: Yeah, it kind of goes back to our original conversation about the arms race with goaltenders. You know, how it, it can get kind of dirty sometimes out there, and its I'm sure it's tough to try to— to do things on the up and up all the time when there's contracts involved. And I mean, let's face it, man, if somebody doesn't like gear and they want to switch, they're going to do it. It's their livelihood. Right. So, uh, and then you guys have to deal with the mess of it.
1: Yeah. You know, and it's such a small industry, you know, especially nowadays with, you know, having uh CCM, Bauer, Vaughn, Brian's as, as really the only four companies in the NHL, you know, I'm a a warrior hasn't paid the, the licensing fee to be in the NHL. Um, but you know, we all know each other. We're all running the same circles. I never tried to poach a guy that was under contract or happy with a product. You know, it wouldn't stop me from talking to a goaltender and developing the framework for a relationship down the road. But if I knew he was happy with a brand um, or was contractually obligated unless they approached me and said, listen, I'm looking for a change. i for the most part, I would be cordial and just have small talk with the guy. And that's, you know, Pekka is one of those guys that uh, I developed a great relationship with. I went to the country music awards in the predator box, uh, as an, a guest of his, and he wasn't even wearing bow at the time. Uh, he had been happy for, in his, rebox CCM and uh but had seen me around the rink and I had made a point to talk to him about his mask which he wore was wearing a Bauer mask and that was essentially it um and we just developed a, a a relationship and you know it ended up going to the country music awards and having a grand old time with him there and then that turned into wearing Bauer and uh you know it didn't last long because he got off to a uh a tumultuous start and he ended up having season ending hip surgery because of it but uh you know there's no fault of the product or mine it's just when the guy gets comfortable and sometimes you know curiosity kills the cat in that situation it was he, he he ventured out tried something different it it didn't work out but there's nothing yeah as i always say to, to guys uh nothing ventured nothing gained you know um, let's just give it a shot. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know what? We'll just shake hands and keep in touch and keep the door open for the future. I don't, I don't get, I don't take things personally. You can't. Yeah,
0: well, that's, I've had that through my my career too. I mean, I'll give you a great example of it. Adam Burkle is somebody who I think is a great guy and a good friend. And you know, it's not that we chat very often, but whenever I see him at the rink, we always spend time with one another. And I've never worn Vaughn gear ever. They've never really fit my style or what I prefer. They make good gear. I have no doubt about that. I think, honestly, everybody makes pretty good gear. And that's why it's just a matter of personal personal taste with what you like. But Berkey and I knew that if I ever wanted to go to Vaughn, it was no problem. Just go to him, talk to him, it'd be great. And I think that we're lucky that we've got some pretty good guys in the game like that that you know you can count on. But the personal relationship aspect is huge. And it's just like anything else in life where if I didn't feel comfortable with you, we wouldn't be having this talk now. We wouldn't have worked together for that
1: long. No. You're right you've carried oh, you you've always carried yourself with uh high integrity uh, you're always honest, and you know most of the most of the elite level goalies are like that um, some aren't um, but uh <laughs> you know it, it's it, it, you're always transparent I'm comfortable with what I'm wearing um, if should things change, you know I know where to get a hold of you and i was I was comfortable with that
0: well let's close this up on one thing that I wanted to ask. If you can think back to one unique spec that somebody had, whether it's a glove, a pad, a blocker, in your mind, is there any one of those that was either a particular challenge or just completely off the ball that you thought was never going to work that eventually ended up on somebody's gear? Do you have an example of that?
1: Oh, that's a fantastic question because, you know, we've covered a lot of ground between Bell 4 specs and Richter specs and Hash specs. Oh. You know, you, you would like to think that there'd be something that Tim Thomas came up with because of his gear constantly evolving. But, you know, I can't think of anything that was really weird other than the one time I made him two different size pads in length because he went on on this notion that he had one leg shorter than the other and to get into his reverse it was a lot more difficult and I forget if it was his right leg or his left, but it's because of the pad length. It, uh, it, it was prohibiting him to get it comfortable in post play. So we ended up making one pad. I believe it was an inch and a half shorter. Well, that didn't last long. That, <laughs> that, uh, that lasted a couple of skates before I got the phone call and uh, like, yeah, could you make me another set of pads? And the conversation went, well, how, how are those two different size pads working for you? Dad, they're not working.
0: <laughs> was that TT7 or TT13? <laughs>
1: oh, my God. We, we were probably up in the 15 at, at, at this point. And it was, it was funny because, um, you know, there's guys like Vesa who we were copying that old CCM, which was a and 10 pad for him when he first switched into Bauer. And, you know, we kept showing them all the new things we were working on, the latest, the greatest, you know, the Vapor X60 when it came out. And it wasn't until Kipper started wearing it, and he was traded from Toronto to Calgary that he said to me, how come you never showed me the Kipper pad? I said, I did. It's called the Vapor X60. And he had no interest. He goes, well, I'd like to try it. And as soon as he tried it, boom, he was wearing it. So, you know, that's probably another example where there's guys who just – are happy with what they have, but you know, are not looking for a change, but they open their eyes to something new and then uh, all of a sudden they, they're different goals. They play a different goal. They play
0: differently. Curiosity it goes back to Marty Biron yeah. taking an old set of Hanks pads the exact same way. You know, the one thing that I want to say about Tim Thomas
1: before we end uh, on, on him is that uh, he's one of the few guys that when he decided that it was time to switch brands. Uh, that he was curious to try something else to your point um, he actually uh, had he had handwritten me a note saying you know he was, he was looking for a change had nothing to do with the product or the company or my work he appreciated all the time we put in um, and that uh, it was not taken for granted uh, but he just needed to change his equipment because he, was, he, he, he felt that he was struggling and he needed to change his game up. So, you know, I really appreciate that because it used to bother me and that was a pet peeve of mine is that you turn on the TV and you'd see a guy wearing a brand of equipment that just caught you out of the blue on left field or you show up to the rink and, you know, players haven't arrived yet and you're walking through the, the, the dressing room and, and there's an, another brand in the guy's stall. And I'm just like, listen, we're all grown men here. Let's just carry ourselves with some integrity here and just say, listen, it's not for whatever reason. It's not working. You know, eventually I'm going to catch up to you on it. So let's just be forthright about it. And that's what I really appreciated from from Tim.
0: That's really cool. That's really, really cool to hear. And I mean, Tim, if you're out there listening... I'd love to speak to you. So maybe Brownie, maybe you and I can get a hold of him somehow, because I'd love to talk to him. You talk about gear nerds, and he's somebody that everybody looks to as being the pinnacle of it. And I just like to pick his brain on why he wanted to do things and the reason for switching pads so often, it'd just be really cool to talk to him so maybe we can find him uh brownie thanks again for this i mean i'm sure we could do round three four five uh again always appreciate your time and be talking to you soon i'm sure
1: yeah i look forward to it thanks for having me and anytime you want to talk goalie like i said it's my passion
0: thanks for listening to six degrees with mike mckenna please make sure that you like comment leave a rating subscribe whether it's itunes google play spotify anywhere that you get your podcasts thanks for listening